Welcome to the C12 Podcast. C12 is a college and young adult ministry where 20-somethings at 12 Stone Church gather on Thursday nights. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. How are we doing, C12? We doing good? There we go. That's the energy that I'm looking for. Uh, hey, if this is your first time with us tonight, it's your, your first night ever being at C12, we just wanted to say welcome home. We're so glad uh, that you're here. And, and uh, if we could, could we throw up the Get Connected slide with a QR code? Maybe you missed the uh, first time guest tent on the way in. You can go ahead and scan this. Uh, we just love to get connected with you and uh, just be able to take tangible steps and bite you uh, into our family. And we do something every week. It's actually one of my favorite things at C12. It's called C12 Connect. And it's a way anyone can get connected. So uh, Kelsey, where are you at? Kelsey, I want you to stand on, stand on up. Hey, I want to give it up for Kelsey. <laughs> Kelsey just hates that I did that so much. <laughs> uh, but hey, Kelsey is the go-to person. We do C12 Connect, a bunch of volunteers and leaders. You literally can head outside, straight outside these doors after service. And we love just to get to know you, get to know who you are, uh, uh, where uh, you go to school, all that stuff. But we are uh, so pumped. I'm really excited because we are kicking off a brand new series called uh, Things Jesus Never Said. And uh, I'm very excited to, to lean into uh, this series. And it can be easy uh, nowadays to just kind of morph God into who we want him to be. We can kind of uh, develop our lives around the maybe thinking or assumption that, well, I'm just going to start to choose everything to uh, my own liking. I'm just going to start to only be around those people who agree with me, who vote like I do, who say all the same things that I do. And we just start to uh, distort the world around us. And I think sometimes the same thing can happen of our view with God. So we start to reshape our, our perception of him into who we want to believe and what we want to think about others or how we want others to view who God, who God is. And, and, and Jesus came to preach the gospel. He, he came to preach the good news. And sometimes in his teachings, when you really get down in the weeds of it, there's some things about his truth that are actually a little uncomfortable. Like there's some things about how he actually taught that maybe can just rub you the wrong way because it might not match this fabricated idea of of who you thought him to be or who you wanted him to be. And so throughout this series, we're gonna go over a a couple popular cultural misconceptions that we have about who Jesus is and what he actually said. And so we're going over tonight the elements of grace and truth the element of grace uh, in truth. And, and how many in this room, you would edge more on the side of grace? Like if somebody uh, does something to me, they wronged me, or I see wrong happen to somebody else, go ahead and raise your hand. Like you would edge on the side of grace. I'm more quicker to, to extend grace. How many of you are more like, hey, nope, dude, I'm giving you the cold, brutally honest truth. Like, I don't care what you did. You could have just, you know, uh, given me, I don't know, like you, it could have been something super small and you're like, forget it. How many, how many truth people we got in the room? Okay, I, I want to see. Okay, yeah, we, we all have our tendencies. So we all have tendencies, whether we lean to, to truth or on the side of grace. And I, I just wanted to start off the top. We're just going to go right in the deep end. I want to start with an initial thought. And if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write this down. We treat others to the same extent that we view ourselves. We treat others to the same extent that we view ourselves. And I wanna unpack this, what it means to embody both grace and truth because we all have tendencies of, well, I'm, I'm just more grace-filled or I kinda bend maybe more towards truth. And I wanna unpack this story in John 
chapter 8 where this woman that gets caught in adultery and, and if you got a Bible you can turn there you can engage in God's word with this we'll have it up on the screen maybe you want to pull it out on, on, on your phone but as you get there maybe as you pull out your Bible or you, you, you uh, pull it up on your phone I want to kind of give some context as to what's happening and what's leading up to this, this passage and so Jesus was, was at the festival of tabernacles and as soon as I say that like what the heck is the festival of tabernacles it's not a modern day festival. Like, it's not like a rager out in Athens. It's not like a, a party in midtown Atlanta. It's like, mm, mm, mm. like it's, not, it's not that type of festival. Like this, this, this festival was, the, was called the Festival of Tabernacles. And it was a festival that was uh, commemorating what God did and giving him thanks for his faithfulness for how he led the nation of Israel through 40 years in the wilderness. So they came, they, they, they wandered throughout the wilderness for 40 years. They ended up going to the promised land. And by the time they got there, they, they, they made this week-long celebration. And so Jesus, that whole week, is just out in, the, out in the courtyards. He's out in the temple. He's teaching the word of God. And, and there's people that just start to question his authority. Well, like, I don't, who are you? Where do you come from? Oh, you come from Galilee? Like, Jesus, you're a nobody. Nobody cares who you are. Nobody knows who you are. And so his authority starts to get questioned. There's division over who he is. And, the, and then the Pharisees, they're, they're the, the religious leaders of, of that day. They get brought into this whole argument about who Jesus is. And they decide to use their knowledge about the law to try to debunk Jesus, which picks up right here at the end of chapter 7 in verse 53. So after the whole day of just them questioning Jesus, them trying to debunk him, them trying to question his nature, it leads into this. So that they all went home after that. But Jesus went to the Mount of, Olive, uh, Mount of Olives. And at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Let's just pause there. It's kind of a humbling thought. Like the day before, everyone's like, bro, boo, you suck. And then like the next morning, he's like, let's do it again, round two, baby. Like, it's like me coming to C12 and like, man, everyone's like throwing their Bibles at me. Like, boo, you suck. And like, let's do it tomorrow morning. How about that? Let's go for it. Like, this is, this is kind of a bold thing for, for Jesus to do, to come back the next morning. And it goes on to say this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left the woman was still standing there and Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So I read this, this whole story because I want to get the whole narrative in the picture. And I'm going to come back to the story at the end and as I unpack the two points, but I think when it comes to, to grace and truth, we often uh, live inside one of, of four quadrants. And so maybe you're more about grace and maybe you tend to be more about truth. And so maybe you, you are, I'm just kind of more grace-filled, but I kind of lack on the truth side. 
Well, maybe that's gonna lead you into being one of these quadrants. Maybe you're, you're all about truth, but you're, but you're not really all about grace, and we're gonna unpack uh, what, what that means, and maybe you're not about either. <laughs> Again, let's revisit the thought. We often treat others to the same extent that we view ourselves, and if we don't offer ourselves grace or don't offer ourselves truth, then it ends up leading to a place where now we give that to other people. So I wanna go over the first one. Grace without truth. Grace without truth is enabling. This is one of the first in the four quadrants. See, when we extend grace, but don't point people towards truth or give truth, we just enable the life of sin. The truth comes not from just what we impose or just from the standards of how we think others should live their life. And let's just pause here for a second. Let's just have an honest conversation because the dialogue these days of like what truth actually is can be a little wish-washy. It seems like now in our culture, like definitions are just changing to whatever we want it to be. Well, well, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. But what is moral truth? Is, is there such a thing? What is the basis of truth? And I don't have time to unpack the, the theology of truth and God's word in, in this teaching, but um, that, that can be a whole separate teaching for another day. But we live inside conversations. I want to acknowledge that. We're now, it's like, well, I don't even know where to start because I feel like we're on two different playing grounds. Like your definition of the way you want it to be is so much different than, than my definition. So how can we have a dialogue when the way that you view it is so different from the way that I view it? Like I'm just gonna give it whatever definition I want because that's my truth. So let's just settle one thing. The, the, what I mean by the truth, I'm not saying it's just whatever your best opinion is. It's not whatever your best thought is. It's not whatever you think is just whatever feels right. As we unpacked in our last series on emotions, just because it feels right or, or just because your emotions are real doesn't mean that they're true. Just because you feel like, oh, well, this is wisdom or I feel like this is truth, that, 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 that means that it actually is truth. And just because you're offering your best thoughts doesn't mean that it's truth to be imposed on other people. So let, let's not put pressure on other people because we feel like, well, this is just the way that I view truth, so I'm gonna put that on you. See, truth comes from God's word, not from what culture chooses to think best. The truth of who God is, see, the truth comes from his word, not just what culture thinks to be best. Our culture tends to just rewrite truth and then call it wisdom. Truth comes from God's word. It's meant to encourage it's meant to provide wisdom. It's meant to rebuke. It's meant to heal. It's meant to teach and correct. It's, it, it's meant to, to guide and, and correct you. There's many things that God's words does. It's meant to teach and correct you. That's the flip side of the coin. Truth can be uncomfortable. Can we just acknowledge that sometimes? Like truth can just be a little uncomfortable. But yet we, in our culture, we throw out sayings, you know, like, like you can't judge me. How many of you ever heard of that one? You ever heard that saying, well, you can't judge me. I, I live my own life. I make my own decisions. You don't know me. Well, okay, but I don't think dating the same people over and over again who treat you like crap is gonna lead to a better dating life. So when the Bible says, guard your heart, don't be surprised when people break it because you're the one that gave it to them. <laughs> you can't judge me. <laughs> you don't know my life. I make my own decisions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, maybe surrounding yourself with bad influences isn't gonna to lead to a better life. And when the Bible talks about how the righteous choose their friends wisely, don't be surprised when drama just feels like it overwhelms you. 
Because drama says a lot more about you than it does about them. That's a tough one to swallow. Drama doesn't follow you. You choose to create it with the friends that you pick. See, the truth about God's word sometimes can be a little uncomfortable. The truth about the word that God brings, sometimes when it's maybe a friend that's saying this truth, like, hey, I read this in scripture. I feel like this is for you. See, the truth that's meant to change you was never meant to condemn you. See, the truth was given to you so that you could not just leave bad habits or bad decisions or just leave a life that you're like, well, that's just kind of maybe some stupid stuff that I make. No, the truth was actually meant for you to leave a life that could be a life of sin. Look at what what Paul says in Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? What Paul is saying is that just because you have grace, it, it doesn't mean that it's a license to sin. If, 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 if grace is not the path to truth, I'd argue that it wasn't grace. It was just a license to keep making the same, mistake, same decisions over and over and over again. And this is why I love baptism stories so much. If you guys know Max, Max was baptized last week and, and the story of what God had done in his life and, and baptisms just have a way of going public with your faith and saying, I'm going away with the old way of living, my old life, my old lifestyle. I don't want to live by that anymore. I don't want to die to that anymore. I want to step into the new creation that God has created me to be. And we live in a culture that just gets so used to swiping on our screens to find what we like and to pick what we like that we kind of translate it. Well, I'm just going to keep swiping through the pages of the Bible because I want to read the things that I want to read. Yeah, let's not talk about sin. That's uncomfortable. Yeah, let's not talk about hell. I don't, that might drive young adults and college students out of the church. Yeah, let's not talk about sexual morality. It's probably not in Scripture. And we just want to engage with things that maybe are things that we want to read, not things that we realize are actually in God's word. It was meant to change you. See, grace without truth is enabling. And no grace and no truth leads to isolation. No grace and no truth leads to isolation. This can lead you to abandonment from God, rebellion from God, giving yourself over to your own selfish desires, just choosing what you want to do and when you want to do it. It leads to refusing the grace that God gives you and it's, 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 it's refusing the truth that, that, uh, of God that can come and change your life. It leads to pride, selfishness, self-righteousness, rage, anger, bitterness, resentment. Let me just pause on on resentment for a second. I know the last two years have been a whirlwind for everyone. And there's a lot of things that we feel like I've gone through, I've endured, and and the way that I go to school is not the same anymore. The way that I uh, do my job isn't the way it is anymore. And I feel like I'm I'm lacking purpose and clarity and calling. And and how many would say like, hey, the last two years have just been a lot harder than than I than I would realize. We got two honest people in the room. Awesome. I think if, if we're really getting honest with ourselves, if we're really getting honest with each other, like the last couple of years really haven't been what we wanted it to be. We've lost loved ones. We've lost job opportunities. Relationships didn't work out. 
the plans that you have for your life and the future, it crumbled. And instead of clinging to hope, maybe we just begun to dig a bitter, like a bigger pit of, of resentment. And you might be thinking, well, Alex, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what my life has been like. You don't know what I've walked through. You don't know what the last couple of years have been. And you're right, I don't. But what I do know is that I've watched countless people just start to step away because they'd rather choose resentment than hope. They'd rather just be resentful about the things that they lost instead of clinging to a hope that, you know what, God will build it again. God will do it again. And when we refuse the grace that God gives us and we refuse the truth that he has for us, it leads us into more isolation. It leads us into a bigger state of despair. And now we're just left with no hope. We're just left with no sense of direction. We don't know what's right or wrong anymore. We don't know what's good or bad. We're just, we're stuck in isolation. We, we're just so full of, of, of living in the perpetual cycle of shame and guilt and condemnation. And I just, as I was prepping for tonight, I just, I felt like God put this on my heart and I wanted to, to share it. I wanted to obey that God lead. And I, just two words, I just wanted to encourage you in and it's just keep going. Keep going. Whether you're wrestling with the church and, and maybe you just have experienced church hurt, keep being engaged. Keep being a part. If you're unsure about Jesus and you have all these questions and all these doubts, keep, keep asking the questions. Keep like Your doubts actually take you deeper with God. Maybe you're just wrestling with the idea of, of what would God would want to do with my life and I don't understand about the impact that he would want to use me. I don't understand where this could take me. Keep volunteering, keep serving, keep being a part of the kingdom because I feel like everybody hits a crossroads where out of resentment, you get to two decisions. You either get to contribute or you get to criticize and I feel like a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines criticizing and you say, well, the church is losing or maybe you're losing our impact in culture. Well, no doubt because you're sitting on the sidelines criticizing when God could have called you to contribute to be a part of the game to go make a difference in the world around us. We get to live with the hope and grace that Jesus offers and we get to carry that wherever we go. And oftentimes I feel like we just sit and walk around in defeat, like feel like we have nothing to offer people. You might not be, feel like you have everything to offer. You might not feel like, oh, I can offer you all the knowledge. I can offer you all the wisdom, but you have been with Jesus and that's enough. That is the thing that you get to bring into the world. It's the hope of Jesus. It's the grace that he brings. It's what God has done in your life. Where has God called you to contribute that maybe you've been on the sidelines to criticize? See, grace, no grace and no truth leads to isolation. It keeps us on the sidelines. And when we're on the sidelines, we eventually lead other people there too. No grace and no truth leads to isolation. The third one, having a lot of truth. <laughs> Good thing you can spell. Having a lot of truth and no grace leads to legalism. It just leads to, no, this is the right thing. This is truth. See, grace fosters this space for a relationship. And when you just have all truth and no grace, it just leads to legalism. So let's pick up back in the story in John 8. Again, picking up with where Jesus is at in the temple courts. So at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. 
And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand up before the group. And Jesus said, teacher, this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Again, they begin to accuse Jesus with this question. They wanted to use it as a trap. So in order to have a basis for accusing him, so they caught her in the act of adultery. This wasn't, oh, I just feel like I, I, I heard about it or I saw it. I feel like I, you know, I, I, I thought that they were just shooting texts back and forth or maybe they were going to gym together. It seemed like a little inappropriate. Like I actually saw them in the act of adultery. They were caught in the act of adultery. See, in that culture, to actually deem something as true, to actually deem something as true, it needed more than just one person. So in that culture, is actually more about having multiple witnesses, meaning that it wasn't just one person who saw them in the act of adultery, it was multiple people. And they had to 100% agree that they all saw the same thing. You might be thinking like, that's super creepy. Yeah, you're 100% right. <laughs> These are the religious leaders of the day going in and, and they had to agree with one another, had to be multiple people. So the conditions to suspect something like this and to actually come forward with the saying, hey, you got caught in the act of adultery is super rare, which can lead to the suspect that maybe this was just a setup. I mean, after all, they were using this question as a trap. They shamed her and they tried to trap Jesus. They put her sin on public display. See, religious leaders in that day, they had truth and no grace. They had no other intention. They had no intention. If it was really about the relationship, how come the woman was the only one there? Why not the man? Why didn't he show up? They had no intention to foster a relationship. They had no intention to value her. They only wanted to be right. You see, truth and no grace only leads to legalism. It focuses on trying to be right rather than trying to build the relationship. See, when I was in, in high school, we all had those subjects that we're not good at. How many have like a subject in, in, in school that you're like, dude, I, I'm horrible at this, okay? See, mine was uh, geometry and chemistry. Those are the two, okay? How, how many people are like, dude, we have, it comes to math and science, not my thing. Like I'm, I'm uh, some of you guys are laughing. You're like, I barely made it. Uh, the, the sad part is when I was in high school, so backstory, my dad was actually, uh, I'm gonna pull a weird flex here for a second, graduated from Harvard, was a PhD in chemistry. And then I go to high school and I'm like, cool, I gotta see, hope you're happy, dad. Uh, like, I, okay, this isn't my strong suit. And, and so chemistry, I knew that wasn't my thing. And then I get into geometry in my sophomore year. Oh my gosh, I couldn't stand geometry. Algebra all day long, pre-calc, sure, piece of cake. Geometry, I ain't drawing shapes. Like, I don't, like, figure out the, the degrees of this. I'm like, for what? Like, oh, when I'm older, I'm gonna figure out what the spheres on my tire, and I'm gonna pull up my protractor. Like, you start to be like that kid in high school, like, what am I gonna use in real life, you know? And uh, my first assignment in uh, that class was to uh, basically make shapes into the animal, and you had to pick the animal. So I picked a bear, very common animal, a, a brown grizzly bear, two colors, got black paws, got brown fur, a black nose. I don't know how else to draw a bear, okay? I feel like you could be two years old and you could draw something and it would feel like a bear. 
So we make this assignment. I hand it out. I feel good about it. I drew my shapes. I spent literally no time doing this. Uh, and I hand it in. This assignment was worth six points. So I, I, I get the, the paper back and the teacher does one of those where they're like, oh, good job. You know, you got 100%. Good job. You got 100%. Oh. Yeah, yes. See me after class. <laughs> For, for what? Like, what, what am I seeing you after class for? And I, I go, and it literally says two out of six. I didn't know the assignment was even worth six points. So then I'm starting to wonder. I'm like, well, why, why did I get literally two out of six points? And she goes, well, the assignment is actually graded if my kid can guess what your animal is. So now I'm just all like rattled in the back. Like I'm like charged, you know? Like other people started failing. They were like, I got a one out of six. Like mine was supposed to be a hawk and he thought it was a beaver. Like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone's failing this assignment. It shows up on your like grading system. And now my parents see it and they're like, it's only like one week and you're already failing geometry. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And so now I'm like, you know, she comes up to me, she apologizes. Well, I'm sorry, you failed the, like, you failed the assignment. I'm like, why? Like, maybe you failed as a parent because your kid doesn't know what a bear is. Like, I don't. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> six points. <laughs> we made an assignment, six points. Needless to say, there was no relationship there. <laughs> no relationship with that geometry teacher. She had no grace in the assignment and I had no grace to give in return. When she had no grace to offer, it's just, nope, here's the truth. You, you failed the assignment. Okay, great. Here's the truth about what I think about your kid. We're sitting down. We're watching Animal Planet. I will know, like, that's a giraffe. Like, I don't know, six out of six. <laughs> when she didn't give grace to me, I didn't give grace back. And when neither of us gave each other grace, it gave no room for a relationship. I valued every other teacher in that school at the time except for her. And when you don't lead with grace, when there's no grace, it leads to no relationship. When we only cling to truth but we offer no grace, we're only fixated on trying to be right rather than seeing the other person. And when it's truth and no grace, it just leads to trying to focus on their behavior and not their soul. Now we're just trying to focus on, well, what, what are the decisions that they make? I'm just trying to focus on the things that they're saying. And, and, and maybe you're like, well, Alex, you don't know the people that I work with. You don't know how horrible they are. You don't, know what they, you don't know what they do. They swear all the time. They still go out drinking. They still smoking. They're still rude and harsh. They, they lie and cheat. The thing about the gospel is not, it's not a behavior modification. It's not about going from just being bad to good. It's not about just going from, oh, I kind of live this life to that life. It, it's going from lost to found. When you enter a relationship with Jesus, it's, Jesus was a lot more concerned about people's eternity. That's Jesus's priority. He focuses on their soul before he really gets to more of the behavior of their lifestyle. And that's our priority. When we offer truth and no grace, we make it a whole lot harder for people to enter church. And I think Jesus made it pretty easy for people to enter heaven. Let me say that thought again. I don't think it landed. When we offer truth and no grace, we make it a whole lot harder for people to enter church than Jesus made it for people to enter heaven. That's a tough one to swallow. And when telling the truth, like, well, I just want, always want to be about truth and no grace. 
I'm just a brutally honest person. I just tell you how it is. And maybe when being brutally honest, we should try being a little bit more honest than we are brutal. The truth isn't meant as a hammer. It's supposed to be a lever. It's to lead them into a life where they're changed. See, grace restores and builds the relationship. So truth without grace is legalism, but grace and truth is life-giving. When you live a life that embodies both, you live a life that models Jesus. That when you model both both grace and truth to everybody, you live a life that is life-giving not only to you, but it's life-giving to everyone around you. I want to pick up in the story again and keep going. It says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Let's pause there because we don't really know what Jesus wrote. We don't know what he's writing in the sand, but I can assure you that he's not sitting there doodling like, oh, the Pharisees. He's not playing tic-tac-toe in the sand. He's not just like drawing figures. See, that word write in Greek actually means to make an account of. It means to make an account of something. And see, the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus trying to make an account of her sin. I wonder if Jesus, hang with me on this thought. I wonder if Jesus was making an account of their sin. The Pharisees highlighted her sin and Jesus highlighted all their sin. Well, she's the one that committed adultery. And Jesus' response was the first who hasn't sinned, go ahead and throw the stone. You see, when it comes to other people's sin, we love to be really great judges. And when it comes to our own, we love to try and be a lawyer. When it comes to other people's sin, you're like, yeah, that's the sin that you struggle with. Yeah, that's a whole lot worse than mine. We do this a lot in life, potentially, where you, you kind of bring your own woman who has adultery and say, well, Jesus... How can you not convict them? How can, how can you not pull them out of their mess? How can you not understand that they're the worst people on the planet? We love to be great judges at other people's sin, yet great lawyers when it comes to our own. And so at this, again, finishing out the story, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. The woman was standing there, and Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, Jesus embodied both grace and truth. He didn't enable it. He didn't just affirm it. He, he literally says, go now and leave your life of sin. He acknowledges that the way that she's living her life is sin. He's demonstrating truth, but the whole time he's giving her grace. And I can imagine her walking away and she had two different experiences. The one that the religious leaders felt like they just had to be the religious police and say, hey, here's your sin. Here's all this guilt and shame. Let me, let me just publicly condone you. Yet Jesus comes to her and just gives grace. He offers grace to her, but points her to the fact that, hey, go now and leave your life of sin. And I wonder what her interaction with Jesus would have been. I wonder as she walked away, oh my gosh, the things that Jesus did that the religious leaders didn't. 
So let's personalize it. How do people experience the church? Maybe your experience with the church has been hurtful. Maybe you've had people, maybe you've had other Christians that look at you weird, or maybe you've had people that just maybe publicly shame you for, well, that's your sin, and that's, that's what you struggle with, and now I'm going to condone you for this. And Christians judged you, or maybe the pastor made you feel like an outcast. The church didn't know what to do with you. God didn't design the church. God didn't design you to be the religious police. He designed you to embody both grace and truth. He designed you to live a life that's life-giving, not just for you, it's life-giving for other people. That when they come to know you, you're the only representation of their view of God, that when you come to them, hey, I'm gonna give you grace along your journey, but I'm also gonna show you what God's word says and how you can walk in this truth that's meant to change you. And where is God asking you just to drop the stones, to let go of things that you would just wanna, God, that person did me wrong and I just, I can't, I can't let it go. That person, the way that they treated me, that person, the way that they, the, the way that they view me, that person, the way that they talked about me, and all you wanna do is just throw stones at them. It's the people in your life that Jesus modeled grace and truth that maybe are a little frustrating to you. It's a whole lot easier to extend grace when you understand the grace that God gave you. Maybe we want to throw stones at other people, but Jesus never threw stones at us. And thank God that he didn't, that he gave me grace for my sin, that he gave me truth to not just leave me where he found me, but that God would so love me that he sent his son to die for me, that my life would be forever changed, that I get to walk in this truth. I don't just live my life and, well, thank you, God, for grace, and I'm gonna go do what I want and, or maybe forget grace and forget truth and just live in isolation or just to, just to be married to truth and just forget about grace and who cares? I'll, I'll do it on my own. I, I, I can manage it. I can live by the works. I, I can just live by the truth, and that just leads to legalism. See, no, the one quadrant I think God is inviting us into is to live a life that models both grace and truth. It's the only thing that's life-giving. And so I don't know where you're at. <laughs> I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what you face with. Maybe there's things in areas where you feel like you, it's hard for you to give grace. It's hard for you to give truth. But I wanna pray and I'm just gonna ask you to stand in the room. As we close out the service, as the band would sing out this song. I pray that you would understand the grace that God gave you. That maybe tonight, maybe you just have a hard time understanding the grace that God had gave you for the sin that may be so entrapped you for years or maybe it's hard for you to, to point people towards truth or it's hard people to, to just say, hey, this, this is what God's word says and we all have our own tendencies but I just wanted you to have a moment where you get to understand that, hey, God's grace is the thing that sustains you. God's grace is the thing that changes you and maybe it's just reminding yourself of this is what God's grace can do. This is what God's grace did in my own life. This is how God's grace changed me. And so, God, we just come before you. God, we just acknowledge 
who you are. God, we acknowledge you in this room. God, we acknowledge, God, you right where you're at. And God, in the midst of, of, of our struggling, God, in the midst of our God, maybe just temptation or frustration to understand that, God, maybe you wouldn't want to give me grace. God, I pray right now that your grace, God, and your presence would just fall upon this room. God, for those who just feel like they're living in the perpetual cycle of, of shame and guilt, God, I pray that you would extend your grace right now. And God, I pray the truth of who you are, God, your word, God, would speak to them. So God, we just invite you into this room in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of our pain. Maybe the areas that we are having a really hard time extending grace to other people. God, would you help us? Would you help us give that grace to other people? Give the grace to our parents who maybe we just can't stand. Give the grace to the people in our class that we just so hate or the people that we work with that we want nothing to do with. God, I pray that you would help us walk in truth and what it means to embody both. God, we just pray this in your name. Thank you for listening to the C12 podcast today. To stay connected with C12, make sure to follow us on Instagram at C12stuff. One of the best ways to get connected with others and grow in your relationship with God is jumping into a small group. To sign up for small groups, go to 12stone.com slash small groups and search college. We hope to see you next week.